Good evening. It's a great privilege to be here and to address the class of 2010 tonight. I want to begin by telling you my 10 favorite memories of the class of 2010. 2010, 10 favorite memories, right? Um, the first one, get my sheet so I'll get them right in the right order. The first one was when you were in sixth grade, or at least a lot of you. Um, we went to Rock Eagle together and spent a few days there learning about science and all kinds of different things. But I got to know a lot of you students um, in sixth grade at Rock Eagle. My second favorite memory is this class has tremendous talent as it comes to plays and performances. And I have enjoyed watching you over the years do perform all kinds of plays at the FPD Auditorium. Third thing, this class has tremendous athletes in it, from soccer to softball, basketball, all the sports. It's been a great privilege to watch you so many times in so many athletic events, winning region championships and state championships. And the band. Who can forget the band? Uh, you guys have some great, talented musicians playing in not only the orchestra, but also the band. Uh, number five, maybe my funniest memory, is the yearbook picture fiasco of your sophomore year. Yeah. Some of the guys thought it would be really funny to um, make funny and goofy faces for their yearbook picture. And that didn't go over very well with some of the administrators. But some of you redeemed yourself. Number six, I'm so proud of some of you who started Three Degrees this year, a student-led Bible study, a time to worship, a time to hear God's Word from your own peers. I commend you for your leadership, not only to your class, but also to your school. Uh, number seven is lunchtime at FPD. Um, Pretty much the whole time I've been a youth pastor, every Wednesday I come out and get to see you, talk to you, um, ask you how your day is going. It's always interesting to me that at the beginning of the year, y'all pick your table and your people, and you're there every day at the same table with the same people. I guess we're creatures of habit. My eighth favorite memory um, is Spirit Week. When, what class can claim what y'all can claim? Fourth place four years in a row. Yeah, give yourselves a hand for that. That's quite a feat. Um, I think over half of you have, at some point in your junior high or high school career, joined our youth group or at least come to a few meetings, and I have great memories um, of sharing that time with you. And number 10, um, I just want to say I love this class. Um, I know so many of you, in fact, I know just about all of you, and it's been a great pleasure to walk through life with you, to be a part of your lives for these last seven years. So thank you for great memories from your class. Tonight, I just want to tell you one thing, and that is I want to charge you to put your hope in God. That's it. Put your hope in God. Um, they say the best sermon is a great example. And Tyler Wheeler 
he, he just gave you the best example. And if, if Greg Thompson hadn't already given me my check, I might just walk out because he, he really was the best. He, he was the best sermon. He told you everything that I'm going to tell you by his life of putting your hope in God all the time, in good times and bad times all the time. We want to be a people who hope in God, and that's what I want to challenge you about tonight. Let me give you a definition. Um, before I do that, though, you may ask, why did you choose this topic? And I want to tell you that in the last seven years, this is probably the greatest lesson that I've learned in my own life. And that's why I want to share it with you. I hope that you'll go to college with this lesson tucked deep into your heart, and you'll think about it. It has had profound impact on my life, and I hope that it will have profound impact on your life. Let me give you a definition. To hope in God is to refuse to let your feelings, your thoughts, or your circumstances have the final say in your life. Instead, to let God's commitment and God's character have the final say in your life. That's what it means to hope in God. And again, Tyler gave you a perfect example. It means to refuse to say, no, I'm not going to let the way I feel right now or my perception of reality or the circumstances that I face have the final say in my life. Instead, I'm going to believe God's Word. I'm going to hold Him at His promises. I'm going to take His commitment to me and His character, and that's going to have the final say in my life. This passage teaches it very well. Isaiah 40 I hope you have uh, your, your bulletin in front of you that has the, the words there. I, I pray that you would look at that. I want to take you verse by verse through these verses and explain them to you. Isaiah begins in verse 27. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God. You ever felt that way? You ever felt like your prayers went unanswered? You ever feel like, I've taken this to God again and again and again. It just seems like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. There's two pictures here. The first is, uh, maybe you think about your teacher's desk, and you have a very important paper to bring to her, and you've brought it to her, and you've put it on her desk, and you've come back into the room to check on it. And there's a thousand pieces of paper on her desk. And you just think, my important paper that I needed her decision on, that I needed her to look at, it's hidden. It's lost. You ever feel that way with God? Feel that way in your life? That as you look at your circumstances, that you say, God, what's important to me? It just doesn't seem important to you. That's the first picture. The second one's a little bit worse. The second picture is that of a clean desk, and you've brought your case to the teacher, and the teacher has put it in that to-do-later file. Your cause has been disregarded. It's been pushed to the side. It's the feeling that we have when we pray and pray and pray and feel like God's not hearing my prayers. It's when we, we continue to fight and fight, and yet we feel like God is not hearing me. He's not with me. Well, the first thing with hoping in God is to refuse to let your feelings have the final say. 
It's to refuse to let your circumstances, no matter how bleak they look, it's to refuse to let them have the final say on how you're going to live your life. Instead, you should hope in the Lord. In fact, that's what Isaiah goes on to say in verse 28. He says, people of God, do you not know? Children of God, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. First thing I want to point out to you here is he's speaking to God's people. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to Jacob. He's speaking to a people who have entered into a relationship with the living God. These are the people that have been rescued from the Egyptian bondage. In New Testament terms, these would be people who've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. These would be people who are children of God. And he's saying to them, do you not know who you are? Do you not know that you have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ? He cannot forget you. Do you not know that there is a living relationship, a permanent commitment to you? In fact, this very term, the Lord, that's the covenant name. That's that's the name that reflects this relationship that we have with God. And that's the first thing that Isaiah points them to. Don't let your feelings have the last say. Remember who you belong to. Remember that Jesus has died to make you his own. Remember that you are his children. Remember the commitment that he has made to you. But then he goes on to describe God's character. And the first thing he tells us about God is he says, The Lord is the everlasting God. There's no beginning and no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And what Isaiah is trying to drive home to us here is that there is no time when God is not with you. There is no time in your life, there's no circumstance where He's not with you. He's the everlasting God. He doesn't get too busy. He doesn't get distracted. All that He is, He will be for you all the time. There's no time that He's not with you. He's the everlasting God. The second thing He tells us is that He's the creator of the ends of the earth. In other words, there's no place in your life where you can be that God is not. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Every square inch of this universe has been created. It's being sustained by Him, and He's governing it to His glory and for His purposes. There's no time that He's not with you. There's no place where He's not with you, seeking to help seeking to come alongside of you. No time, no place. Furthermore, no limit to his resources. Look what he says. The Lord will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. God's energy doesn't run out. God's motivation to care for you doesn't run out. God's wisdom and assessment of every situation that you find yourself, it's unfathomable. He has exquisite and perfect knowledge of you and every situation that you face. 
What he's trying to say is there's no limit to his resources, to his power, to his wisdom, to his love, to his care for you. There's no time that he's not with you. There's no place that you can be in life that he's not with you. There's no limit to his resources. But then Isaiah shows you God's heart. Look at verse 29. He gives. He gives. He gives. That's who God is. He's a giver. Think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He he gave His one and only Son. That's who God is. He's a giver. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, particularly in your trials, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. God is a giver. Proverbs 3 tells us, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what God is. He's a giver. In fact, the Bible tells us that he loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because that's what he is. And when you model him, as you imitate him being a cheerful giver, he looks down and says, you're reflecting my glory. You're acting like me. Because that's what God is. He's a cheerful giver. That's who he is. And what does he give? He gives exactly what we need. Look at the verse. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. You know what it means to be weary. In this passage, what it means is, it means that you lack the inner motivation. You lack willpower. You've become weak. And so what God is saying is, if you become like that, if you lose your willpower, if you you lose your motivation in the midst of a hard, difficult trial, God will give you strength, that inner power, to say, yes, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep fighting. The other kind of weakness is physical. Maybe we have the willpower, we have the motivation to keep going, but the trials and the difficulties of life just keep coming and coming and coming so that we're exhausted, we're worn out. We just can't keep on going physically, maybe mentally. What does he give? He increases the power of the weak. So whether it's internal power or external power, God says, I'm going to give you exactly what you need. That's who God is. That's who God is. That's the God of the Scriptures. The God who is committed to you if you are in Christ. He says, there's no time that I'm not right beside you. There's no place in your life that I'm not with you. There is no limit to my resources. And I'm a giver. I love to give exactly what you need. Do you see what Isaiah is saying? Don't you dare let your emotions, how you feel about a situation, have the final word. Don't let your perception of reality have the final say. Don't let your circumstances beat you down. Remember who your God is and put your hope in Him. He is committed to you. He has shed His blood to make you His own. There's no time, there's no place, there's no limit to His resources, and He's a giver. He gives exactly what we need.
Would you put your hope in him? I want to pause for just a minute because certainly there's some here that would say, Hunter, if you knew me, you would not encourage me to put my hope in God. If you knew the things that I've done, if you knew the sins that I commit, you would know that God would have nothing to do with me. I have something to tell you tonight. It's the words of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's who Jesus is. He welcomes sinners. And so don't dare say, God won't receive me. God won't hear me. Don't say that. Jesus says quite the opposite. He says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and burdened.